You know, these last four months have been really intense. It's like our emotions have literally been riding on a roller coaster. That's why we decided we wanted to do this sermon series on, on the human emotions. You know, our, our anger, our disgust, our fear, and our, our sadness, they've been all over the place. The highs and lows, ups and downs, and, and just like getting off of a roller coaster, sometimes we feel dizzy or lightheaded or maybe even want to throw up. Uh, but amazingly, in the midst of all of this, we've also been able to experience joy. I think the, the human emotion of joy, when joy is at its best, it, it often sneaks up on us and surprises us. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, many of you know that, that uh, one of my favorite quotes is uh, something that Howard Thurman said. He said, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive and go do that because what the world needs is people who have come alive. And so if you did that, if you asked yourself that, if you sat down and, and made a, a joy list, what are the things that would make your list? I, I imagine that, that you would say time with family, uh, maybe um, with friends around a table, eating good food, discovering new recipes. Uh, I know at my house, uh, food is, is, is usually high on the list. Uh, the other day, Ross and I created uh, this little hammock village and Saturday afternoon we were out here and we just took a nap, uh, read a good book uh, in a hammock, wearing my, my Bob Marley flip-flops. Uh, there's just a lot of joy in this place. Uh, we find joy when we're listening to music. If you're like my son Ross, uh, you find a lot of joy when you're creating music. Uh, I've heard you talk about uh, hiking trails and trout streams and uh, strolls on lonely beaches. Some of you talk about getting to know your neighbors and, and sitting in the front yard. Uh, I know some of you are, are finding joy at work, uh, the, the creativity that's, that's, that's required to kind of navigate through these days. A lot of you continue to, to serve people in, in our community and, and you find a lot of joy in that. Others of you uh, in the cool of the evening uh, working in your garden. I asked the staff, uh, what. What ways are you guys finding joy these days? I really like what Rachel said. She said, my joy is most often intertwined with someone else's joy. And you know, I think that's what Jesus is getting at in our, our text for today from John 15. He takes his disciples to a vineyard and teaches a powerful lesson. I found a cool little vineyard the other day. Uh, and, and I'd love to take you there. You know, Scott Taylor said that uh, you can't skip without laughing or smiling, so I thought I'd give it a try. And, and you know, he's right. It's hard to, to skip without smiling. And, and we're talking about joy today. And Jesus takes his disciples to a vineyard. Now, I don't know if they were literally in a vineyard. If they were in one or walking past one as he was, as he was teaching, it wouldn't have been like this one with mountains all around it. 
Uh, maybe it was just figurative that, that Jesus just, just took them to a vineyard in their minds. The disciples uh, certainly would have known all about it. But I think it's important for us to kind of get a sense of, of what Jesus is saying in John 15 in our text for today if we understand the context. Uh, John is telling the story and um, the disciples are together with Jesus and in chapter 13 uh, Jesus has already been talking about his death. Um, they, they're in the upper room celebrating the Passover meal together and, and um, you remember this story. Uh, no one's there to wash their feet. Jesus girds himself with a towel, gets down on the floor, takes a basin of water and starts washing the disciples' dirty feet. And it, and it kind of messes with them. Uh, Peter especially, he's like, you're not going to wash my feet. Like, uh, you're too good for that. And, and Jesus' response was, was probably stunning to them too. Like, well, Peter, if, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you can't have any part of what I'm doing. In that same time that they're together, Jesus uh, talks about uh, his betrayal. Uh, he, he talks about uh, his denial, how Peter will deny him. So it's really heavy stuff. And so you know that the disciples' emotions are, are all over the place. And then he starts talking about the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And, and if you stay connected to me, um, that's how it's all going to work, you know, kind of, kind of lesson. And at the end of that, Jesus says, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. And so that makes me wonder, you know, like if, if God asked the question, what makes your heart sing? Uh, if God made a, a joy list, I wonder what things uh, would be on God's list. You know, Jesus using this analogy of the vineyard, it taps into uh, to their identity, really. Um, uh, the vineyard or the vine and the grapes, that was a national symbol for the people of Israel. Like you would find it... Uh, carved and engraved and, and woven into tapestries. Um, so when Jesus starts talking about um, uh, the vineyard and the grapes, the disciples are very familiar with that. And in, in fact, uh, in the Old Testament, especially in the Old Testament prophets, uh, you find that, that Israel is described as a vineyard. One of my favorites uh, is the prophet Isaiah. And in the fifth chapter uh, of Isaiah, it, listen to this. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and he hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed, righteousness, but heard a cry. Like, isn't that cool? Like, God sings this love song over God's vineyard. And, and it says Judah is God's pleasant planting. I know about the joy uh, that comes from, from planting things. And so... What, what makes uh, God's uh, joy list is, is people. And if we, if we understand uh, this whole narrative of God choosing a group of people in the first place uh, to, to own and to love and to keep, uh, you don't even have to look that close 
to understand that what God had in mind, what God's great desire was for, for Israel, uh, was for all the people of the world to come to know God through them. That's why when the, the lawyer asks Jesus that question, of all that God commands, of all that God wants, um, what's number one on God's list? And Jesus' response is, love God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. Like That's what makes God's heart sing. But Jesus also says that there's a second one just like it and, and that you're to love your neighbor. God says it in, in Isaiah 5. There's this expectation of, of uh, yielding fruit, of grapes, uh, of, of justice happening, you know. And so now Jesus is with his disciples and, and he's talking about uh, the vineyard. He says, I am the vine and, and you are the branches. And um, if, you, if you abide in me and, and, and all that. But then he starts talking about uh, pruning and, and cutting the vine. Uh, when when the vine dresser or the, or the gardener prunes the, the branches, uh, then it bears more fruit. Now, as I was getting ready for, for today's sermon, I remembered that when I was a freshman in college, my granddaddy, who was an old-time United Methodist preacher, uh, he was in the, the North Georgia Conference. I remember that, that when I was in college uh, in, at Asbury in Kentucky, they had invited my grandfather to come and preach what they call their, their spring revival. So granddaddy preached like, uh, four sermons during that week. Well, on the, the last day of that spring revival, I remember sitting up in the balcony in, in the auditorium, and Granddaddy preached on this text, on, on John 15. And so I, I knew I had a cassette tape of Granddaddy's sermon, and so I climbed up in my attic, and I found the box, and, and I got it out. And of course, the problem is I don't have a cassette player, but Scott had a cassette player, and, and he brought me Ava Lee's a cassette player, and, and I listened to my Granddaddy's sermon. It was like a 45-minute sermon. <laughs> but in this sermon, he talks about this, this word purge, you know, and he, he's preaching in this, uh, this southern drawl. Um, and and he, he reminisced of a time when, when he was young and in seminary, and he, and he heard this uh, theologian that, that impressed him uh, uh, talk about this, this word and, and his research on this word, like that all of the, of the scholars said, most sources except one, that this Greek word purge or prune uh, actually means to cleanse. Well, my granddaddy said that if any time that you're going to study a passage, um, to, to do correct exegesis, you have to understand uh, the, the context of that day. And so in Jesus's day, uh, there, was this, there was this practice uh, where the, the, the vine dresser or the gardener would, would go through uh, the vineyard. This is in ancient Palestine. And they would notice these, these knots along the, the base of the vine. And, and they would take this, this, uh, this sharp knife and they would puncture th these knots because in these knots was all the sap that was gathered, a sap that, that uh, uh, wasn't necessary for the vine, that, that, that the vine uh, didn't want, and they called it bleeding the vine. Well, um, my granddaddy said uh, he was looking his, his whole life for confirmation of this. So when he, was, when he was back in Georgia and he was serving the local church, his church, uh, sent him to sent him to Palestine on, on one of those trips, and so he was so excited because he was going to get to one of those vineyards and he was going to talk to the to the vineyard owner. Well, he says he was just herded around in these groups and and uh, never could get never could get close to to the vineyard, and so he was really frustrated. Uh, well, well, back in 1973, he went back over there that he had been invited to speak at the World Bible Conference, and it just happened to be in Jerusalem that year. And so, but it was the same kind of thing, just frustration. He couldn't get to anybody to, to talk to about it. 
Well, years later, he flew out to California. There was a, a guy by the name of Sherman Thomas who was on the board of trustees at Asbury Theological Seminary. And so granddaddy was riding around with him. Uh, he, he had this large farm in California and they were riding around in this air-conditioned Cadillac and they came upon the vineyard. And my granddaddy said, stop the car. I said, he said, you can just leave me here. I want to, I want to talk to the foreman over there. So granddaddy went over to the foreman. Um, his heart was pumping, you know, because he was going to finally uh, uh, get confirmation for himself. And so, so he asks this foreman, uh, you ever heard anything about, about bleeding the vine? And the foreman was just like, no. And granddaddy was like, oh. And he began to explain the process and what he was talking about. And the foreman was like, oh, yeah. He's like, we do that. He said, but we don't call it bleeding the vine. Uh, uh, we call it girdling the vine. And he, and he pulled out this, this girdling knife. And he, and he began to explain to my granddaddy uh, that on that, uh, on that farm, they had um, special orders every year, like, like certain uh, groups wanted a, a, a larger, sweeter grape. Um, and so they would take this girdling knife and they would go to the, to the base of the vine and it, it has these two blades and just carefully go all the way around the vine. Like you can't cut too deep, but you have to cut deep enough. And then you take this other side and you just scrape uh, the bark away from this vine. So it, it starts to bleed this sap. After about uh, two to four weeks, uh, this vine will heal up where it's been girdled. And everything above that girdle uh, grows more fruit, grows bigger fruit. And my granddaddy just laughed. He says, I've been looking for that all my life. He says, could I have that knife? And he says, yeah, you can just have that one off the truck. So when my granddaddy died, my, my aunts and uncles, um, they, they let me have this girdling knife. Uh, I'm going to use it someday. I thought about maybe helping out uh, uh, Maggie Valley uh, Methodist Church with, with their little vineyard back here, but I don't really know what I'm doing, and um, it's, it's not my place to do that. But it's interesting, though, isn't it, that you've got this fine, vine, and you, you cut it, and you wound it, and it's, it's in the process of healing that more fruit grows, bigger fruit, uh, sweeter fruit. Luke tells of a time when Jesus preaches a sermon about, about people who are happy. And I thought, oh, that's perfect because I'm preaching a sermon on joy. And uh, I, I turned to, to Luke chapter 6, and it, it wasn't exactly what, what I expected. Uh, Jesus, is, Jesus uses this word blessed. Um, uh, the Greek word for blessed also means fortunate or happy. And so Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed or fortunate or happy uh, are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed or fortunate are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. And listen to this. He says, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. I was reading a devotional the other day by, by Richard Rohr, and he talked about the 12 steps of, of spirituality. And he says, you know, Jesus and the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous are, are kind of saying the same thing, just using a different language. You know, that you have to suffer to be well. Uh, you have to surrender to win. You have to die to live. Uh, you have to give it away uh, in order to keep it. It just doesn't make sense. You know, it's kind of counterintuitive. Uh, you know, that, that Jesus 
talks about pruning and purging and bleeding the vine. And, and then he says, the result is going to be great joy. I think a lot of times, if you're like me, we think when I make the commitment to follow Jesus, um, to, uh, to abide in God's love, you know that, that in our text for today, in 11 verses, the word abide is used 11 different times. Uh, Jesus says in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. You know, a lot of times we think that uh, life is going to be perfect and blissful, and it doesn't usually seem to work out that way. But if we live long enough and we follow Jesus long enough, we know through life experiences that what Jesus is saying is true. But there's great joy on the other side of those things that, that we oftentimes want to avoid. A, a group of people, uh, they ask a, uh, a bunch of uh, four to eight-year-olds, they ask this question, uh, what does love mean? And I loved their responses. Uh, Rebecca, who's eight years old, said, when my grandma got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandpa does it for her all the time. Even when his hands got arthritis too, that's love. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. That was Carl, age five. Elaine, also age five, says, love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. Noel, age seven, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt and then he wears it every day. Love is when mommy sees daddy all smelly and sweaty and still says he's handsomer than Robert Redford. <laughs> Chan says that one all the time. Uh, that was Chris, age seven. During my piano recital, I was on a stage and I was scared. I looked at all the people watching me and saw my daddy waving and smiling. He was the only one doing that. I wasn't scared anymore. Cindy, age eight. Marianne, four years old, says, love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him alone all day. Bobby, age seven, love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. And then Billy, age four, said, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You know that your name is safe in their mouth. I just read this really awesome book. It's called Fireflies. Uh, you kids would really like this one. Uh, it, it's about this little boy who was sitting at the dinner table and he really wanted to be finished so that he could go outside and play. And he looked out the window at his, at his tree house and his tree house uh, looked kind of dark and spooky. And, and so he decided he didn't really want to do that. But while he was looking out the window, he saw out in this field, this flicker of light. And then he realized it was a firefly. And so he ate his food really, really fast and, and said, Mom, I'm going to go outside and catch fireflies. And so he went down into, into the cellar and he, he found uh, an old dusty jar underneath the stairs and he polished it off with his shirt. And then he ran out the front door and the, the screen door slammed behind him. And as he was going out into the yard and out into the field, he noticed that all of his friends from the neighborhood they had had the same idea, and so they had their jars, and they were out there catching these fireflies and catching these fireflies. And so he, he went into the field, um, and he 
and he heard all of the crickets and he was squinting his eyes and he saw one and he jumped and he caught this firefly and he took the lid off of his jar and, and he, he put the firefly in the jar um, and he had poked holes in the top of the jar so the fireflies could breathe. And he just kept catching them and, and catching them because it just seemed like there were millions of them out there just swirling around and it was like they were dancing around the moon. And as he looked at his jar, it was just glowing bright. It was glowing like the moon, actually. And after a while, um, he heard his mom calling for him. It was starting to get a little too dark and it was time to go inside. And so he, he, he took his, his jar in and he said, Mom, I got hundreds of them. And uh, he put on his pajamas and she tucked him into bed and, and he put his jar of fireflies on the nightstand beside his bed. And he was just watching them as his dad walked uh, by the hallway and stuck his head inside his bedroom door and said, uh, see you later, alligator. And the little boy said, after a while, a crocodile. And he said, dad, I got hundreds of them. And so he just lay there and, and he was watching them. He noticed uh, that they were flying against the, the side of the jar and they were dropping down into the bottom. And then after a while, um, it was like something was wrong. It wasn't glowing bright like the moon anymore. It was actually starting to become more of a pale green. And eventually it was becoming actually kind of dark in his jar. And the little boy knew what was happening. But he was just like, no, these are my fireflies. I caught them. They're mine. And he clenched his teeth and he, he put his head under his pillow. But he knew what he had to do. And so he threw his covers off and he went and he opened the window and he took the, the lid off the, the jar and, and held his jar out. And, and all of a sudden, the, the, the jar started to glow again. Uh, the, the fireflies started shining their light. It was like they were happy and they, they streamed out of his jar and, and flew out his window into the night air. And, and they started circling the moon again and, and dancing outside. I want to read you uh, the last thing that the little boy said. He says, I, I held the jar dark and empty in my hands. The moonlight and the fireflies swam in my tears, but I could feel myself smiling. It's like what Rachel said, that sometimes our joy is intertwined with someone else's joy. You know, my prayer for us, for all of us, is that God will help us stay connected to the vine. That regardless of uh, what life brings our way, that God will surprise us with joy again and again and again. Amen.